What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 74 of the Deep Ball Gridiron Edition. I'm your host, Anthony Paolo, joined, of course, by my co-host, Corey Lickman. Core, halfway through the regular season, we got another coach getting fired, a couple underdogs winning this past week, nine. I'm definitely sure that you are hype about that. Excited to kind of recap some of these games, give a little insight. Like I said, halfway through the year, um, I'm, I'm pumped. Like I said, it was a good week of football. Yeah, Paolo, I mean, last week, you know, as a Jets fan, wasn't feeling great, but let's just say the boys, they, they bounced back. It was a big win this week, you know. Looking forward to talk about all football, especially the Jets. So so let's get into it. Yeah, Corey, we're going to have to wait a little bit on the Jets because we're going to first talk about the coaching news in the league. Frank Reich in his fifth year as the Indianapolis Colts head coach, fired, done, lights out for Frank Reich. Um, 40-33-1 over the five seasons that he was there and the head coach there. The big stat with him is going to be that he had five different week one starting quarterbacks in his five seasons, which doesn't set any head coach up to fail, obviously, with the quarterback being the most important position on the field. you got to have stability there. They don't give him enough time really to, like, shine in his system. I know, obviously, this was all thrown off with Andrew Luck retiring in 2019 right before the season. But still, even with that, still a bunch of time. Since then, obviously, three quarterbacks like Rivers, Wentz, and now Matt Ryan this past year. I don't think that it all falls off Frank Reich. Like I said, I think he's still a very good football mind. And we saw the Colts even last year, how he was able to really get good football out of Wentz for a majority of the season. But almost somebody had to take the blame for Indy's fall. I'm like, I expect it to be the head coach over Chris Ballard. Chris Ballard's done a good job building the Colts, except at the premium positions. But I think this kind of signals that. Chris Ballard's seat is red hot for how good of a GM he can be in like building the Colts and how well he built the rest of their roster. The fact that, again, you, you haven't figured out anything at the quarterback position, um, you're in trouble. Yeah, I mean, I think when a team who coming into the season's expectations were, I mean, you could say they were up there. I mean, definitely make the playoffs and do, do more than that. Like coming into this year, I thought the Colts to win the AFC South was kind of a lock, but they're just, they're just really not good. But I, I would honestly say more of this has to lean on the general managers because like Frank Reich isn't, isn't the guy making the roster changes. Like yeah, he probably has some type of input, but to give a guy, keep giving a guy a new starting quarterback when that quarterback isn't exactly a superstar. It's almost a guy above a game manager, but not really, a superstar. I mean, Matt Ryan and Philip Rivers, guys who, who like previously were were stars in this league, but they're kind of like both. The Colts got them like both when they weren't in their prime, like kind of older players. And obviously, Wentz played solid ball, but I think it's unfortunate because I think this Colts team this year really hasn't been the same. I know like their offensive line really hasn't been hasn't been good, but there's been previous years like that offensive line has been absolutely dominant and really good defense. And on paper, it's it's a Super Bowl team, and they just didn't get that done. So, I understand the frustration from from the front office to, to fire Frank Reich when the team. Yeah, you're three five and one, and it's a really bad football team right now. So, I don't know where they go from here, but you know, gave me a little chuckle seeing my guy Jeff Saturday. Love seeing the guy on NFL Live to talk about some football. Yeah, and now this I think is his like highest um like level of coaching is at the high school level. And now this guy is just casually gonna come in and coach the Colts. I mean, obviously this guy was a center for the Colts, but I don't know. I kind of find it funny. And personally, I don't know. Are the Colts I don't know who the Colts play this week. Um but Vegas, I think it is. Vegas it is it is Vegas because I'm gonna cut in here because Saturday a couple weeks ago like tweeted that the Raiders are really bad. And then, like, that started trending on Twitter. They were like, oh, now Saturday is coaching against Vegas. Yeah, I think the Jeff Saturday thing is – I mean, if somebody could have predicted that Jeff Saturday would be the interim head coach, they probably won the Powerball as well. Like, that's somebody who knows something from higher-ups. So, good for Jeff Saturday. I mean, yeah, I think it's definitely crazy. Like, I mean, again, from a high school coach, and he's really an analyst on ESPN now plucked to be the interim head coach for the second half of the season. For a team that the Colts said were 3-5-1, and one, and honestly, they didn't deserve one of the three wins they arguably had. The game against the Chiefs was kind of gifted to them. The game against 
the Jaguars too. I didn't really think they deserved to win at all. They had a late comeback. And the Broncos Thursday night football game was one of the worst games I've ever watched. So again, not a lot. Hopefully Saturday gets the offensive line right. Like that that's maybe something that he can do. And maybe he could just be a figurehead for like the fans to kind of rally around. But yeah, I think the Colts maybe even going to Saturday kind of are signaling unofficially that they're gonna tank maybe to try to get the top quarterback, which if this team walked into a top five pick, they're definitely set up really good for 2023. But yeah, with former head coaches on the staff, such as Gus Bradley and John Fox, I think it might be a little insulting to them that they were kind of passed up for Jeff Saturday, but Jim Irsay and Chris Ballard decided to go with Saturday. Definitely funny in the sense that you were saying, like seeing him on the sideline, just because again, yeah, this guy's been on ESPN. Like that's, that's pretty nuts to have that quick of turnaround. Obviously something that we've never seen before, but core, I mean, unless Jeff Saturday goes, I think they still have their bye week. So unless he goes 8-0 down the stretch, I don't think Saturday is going to be the head coach next year. Obviously, I think there's some head coaching candidates out there that will obviously wait to start speculating on the job. But like just as like how appealing this job is now, you have Carolina who could potentially be an opening after this year if they don't bring back Steve Wilkes. And now the Colts job. I think I would lean that the Colts job is better, and especially if the Colts were to walk into a top seven-ish pick or a pick at least that they could trade into and take a Bryce Young, a C.J. Stroud, maybe even a Will Levis. Like, that team is not too far away if they could potentially snag a franchise quarterback this year. Mm -hmm. I would say definitely the Colts' um, head coaching position is more attractive than the Panthers, I think. I mean, the Colts, I think, on the outside. I mean, Pittman – it's good. Pierce like looks like a solid receiver. You got a good run game. Yeah, I think on paper, like that's still a solid team. So like if you can go out there and get potentially a franchise quarterback who's actually like a young quarterback instead of just bringing in a journey, not a, like just an older semi washed up type QB. I think it's an attractive position. I don't see why a coach wouldn't want to come in and and coach this team. They're good on they would. I think they'd be good on both sides of the ball if you can develop that quarterback right. Mm -hmm. So I think it definitely depends on what, like, pick you get. And I think if you are the Colts and somehow, you know, Saturday gets the boys gets the boys going, like, let's say the Colts finish, I don't know, 3-5-1 and one right now. Let's say they finished with, like, six wins, like, ten losses and a tie or, like, seven, nine and one. And they're, like, not all the way at the top. Like in their like, media like kind of between that like. You think Saturday's got a chance to stay? No, that's not what I'm saying. Okay. I'm saying they have to trade up. Like they trade. Like just make sure this draft coming, you get your you get your quarterback. I was not saying Saturday is here to stay. You scared me. Saturday goes undefeated. I not nah, Jeff Saturday is not going to be the coach next year. I'm saying you just got to make sure to get your franchise quarterback in this coming draft. That's basically what I was trying to say. Yeah, funny I cut you off and guessed wrong because you read my mind with that. I think after the Wentz thing failed, the fact that they gave up their first-round pick really handcuffed them to go with Matt Ryan this year. They absolutely 1,000% have to go now young and just go with a like a quarterback who's a rookie from this draft class, a high draft pick, and try that way because clearly the stopgap stuff has not worked with Rivers, didn't work with Wentz, and didn't work with Ryan. Maybe if you look back at the Wentz, they thought that they could get two years out of him because they were trading their 2022 pick for Wentz. So they were thinking, if Wentz isn't good in for these two years, then we could just draft the new guy in 2023. That blew up in their face after the collapse at the end of the year last year against the Raiders and the Jaguars in the last two games of the season. Yeah, I think Saturday obviously won't stay as a head coach, but I think he's got a chance maybe to latch on to the staff at some point. Like, maybe he could be an offensive line coach. I think that's something that maybe fits in better qualifications-wise, and especially if maybe some of the people in the locker room really like him. Clearly, he must be well-respected in the organization, obviously. I, I don't know if he's a Hall of Famer yet, but he's going to be a Hall of Famer. So good for Jeff Saturday. Excited to see that. I'm curious to see how the players will react to it. But, again, for the Colts, it's kind of a punt for the rest of the 2022 season. And the Tennessee Titans lead that division, I think, by two and a half or maybe three games now. And it looks like they might be on nice cruise control to win the AFC South once again. So who knows for the Colts? I mean, the Colts, it seems like they're kind of like a franchise that's gotten pretty lucky with Peyton Manning. And then right after Peyton Manning, he got hurt the one year. And then they walk into Andrew Luck. And then they were really good again with Luck. 
They're, they're kind of a little shaky, obviously, since Luck left, but they still had a couple of good, decent teams, competitive enough, I should say, until this year they stink. And who knows? They probably walk into now a top three draft pick and maybe another franchise quarterback. So it seems like Indianapolis kind of gets real, real lucky there. But moving off of Indianapolis, core, we will finally start talking about your Jets when we talk about the underdogs that won this week. What was they? Oh, 10 and a half, 11 and a half they closed that about? Yeah, I think it opened at 13. I think it dropped to about – I think it dropped to 10 and a half, honestly, yeah. Uh, well, clearly 10 and a half was not enough. Vegas loses that one big time. The Jets win 20 to 17 at home. I think the most eye-opening stat of the day will be that the Jets ran for, I believe, 174 yards was the exact number without Brees Hall, without Elijah Vera Tucker, without Mekhi Becton up on the offensive line. Josh Allen also didn't throw for a touchdown through two interceptions as well. Did run for two, but still two interceptions in the air. The Jets' defense has been really impressive at some points, especially over these last, like, three, four weeks, I would say. But you know what? Maybe you were a little, like, pessimistic they played the Dolphins with no quarterback Skyler Thompson was back there then they played Denver with Brett Rippey and then they played Mac Jones and like yeah they were playing really good but let me tell you something this Jets defense is one of the best units in the league I know we were talking about like Dallas being one of the best and San Francisco but the Jets defense is quietly emerging as I think it's fair to like maybe put them in the conversation as a top five defense I really do I think they have the best cornerback duo in the league arguably between Sauce Gardner and I was mentioning to you pre-show I think DJ Reed is completely underrated because of how dominant Sauce Gardner has been. But, yeah, I mean, an unbelievable win for the Jets to put them at 6-3 and three going into their bye week. Again, we were trying to figure out what this Jets team could potentially be. Like, were they really a true, like, playoff contender? Were they a team that, like, in the second half of the season was kind of going to regress to the mean? I think after beating the Bills, it's no doubt this Jets team could 100%. Like, they're a playoff-worthy team this year. They have a tough schedule down the stretch, especially their road games, their five road games are potentially against all playoff teams, but they just beat the Bills. So, you know what I mean? Anything's possible for them, Core. Hell of a win for your Jets. Yeah, I mean, you know, after last week, I'm not going to say I was feeling great going into this matchup just because the respect I give to the Buffalo Bills. I think they're the best team in football. But, I mean, even on, like, the first couple drives, I know Josh Allen scored, like, a short rushing touchdown. I was, like, liking how the Jets' defense was playing just because it's a pretty explosive offense, and it seemed they were really making the Bills work. Like, it was, like, a lot of third-down conversions, a lot of shorter plays. Like, I think there was a time they had, like, 14 plays for, like, 95 yards. Like, that's not that many yards per play. So, I think this Jets' defense definitely elite. They got to – there were times when – the, the Buffalo O-line held up, but then there were other times, yeah. I mean, they got to Josh Allen, five sacks on the day on him. I mean, at the end, they had that big um, – on their last – when it was 20 to 17, they got a big – where he, like, fumbled the ball and went backwards and lost about 11 yards. So, uh, the secondary did a great job. Like you said, DJ Reed, like, a really good coverage corner. I mean, he had a play on Stephon Diggs. I thought it was, like, perfect coverage. And, then yeah, Sauce Gardner with a pick. And, yeah, I mean, when it comes to this Jets offense, I think obviously this that could be their their problem. I think the defense is elite enough. Like, even last week, I heard the, the Patriots' average starting field position was, like, across the 50, and the Jets are holding them to five field goals. Like, they G, defense did their job. It was Zach Wilson turning the ball over. And in this one, I mean, Wilson does nothing fancy, nothing spectacular besides kind of manage the game, make some key throws when needed hand the ball off to Michael Carter and James Robinson, where on that last drive, I don't know if you were watching, they were just carving up the Bills' defense. I mean, Michael I mean, Michael Carter and James Robinson are both rushing for at least five yards per carry on that last drive. And honestly, I think Garrett Wilson definitely deserves a shout-out watching this game. He was an absolute stud, just getting open, kind of having his way. I mean, didn't have any really big plays. But overall, I mean, it was just a great team win. Even Denzel Mims had a big catch on third down on um on that final drive. So definitely a big win for the Jets. I mean, it's a good time to be a New York football fan. Both teams playing really good. And finally some excitement because it's kind of been it's kind of been a little bit. I mean, maybe a little more for the Jets. The Giants have had some more times. The Jets really haven't done anything since the Mark Sanchez era in the in the Ryan Fitzpatrick era when they almost made the playoffs. But yeah, it, that's a great win for the Jets. And um, great to get back on track. 
Yeah, I mean, you said it's a great time for New York football. Some people will come at you, Corey, and be like, well, Buffalo's a New York football team, but nah. I know what you're talking about. Buffalo's completely separate. The Jets and the Giants are New York football teams. So I think it's crazy you mentioned that Zach Wilson didn't really do like too, too much. I mean, obviously it makes sense that with Michael Ford being the offensive coordinator coming from San Francisco and Robert Sala, obviously the former D coordinator in San Francisco, how similar like schematically they were going to be. These two teams are very – like are mirror images of each other, like the 49ers or the Jets, if you ask me, of like their offense, especially like if Brees Hall was still healthy, you know what I mean? Their offense, is, they're going to try to win games running the football. Zach Wilson, like if you ask me, is maybe not the exact quarterback you'd like for ha- like the Jets' strengths right now because he's prone to turning the ball over and stuff like that. However, it's what they have to work with, and maybe he can elevate the offense if he starts honing into his potential. But I thought that was just like another observation I've been making over the past couple weeks, and obviously with how they're going to lean on this defense that could potentially carry them to the playoffs. Core, I did mention their schedule down the stretch. Six and three right now. They got three games at home that you would think are pretty winnable in the Lions, the Jaguars, and of course I'm blanking on the third one. It's a pretty winnable game, but they – I'm saying it again. You said Lions, Jaguars, the third team, the Bears. Lions, Jaguars, Bears, perfect. Those are three real winnable games, right? They go on the road. They still have to play Minnesota, Buffalo, Seattle, Miami, and the Patriots after their bye week. Like those are five games on the road, right? If you're if you're winning your home games, you're winning your road games. I would put you at nine and eight. Nine and eight, probably not the place to get into the playoffs in the AFC. You probably got to win ten games. If you want to be a playoff team, obviously you got to beat one of the, you got to win one of those games. I think the Jets got a real shot though to make the playoffs. I think that game against New England will be huge with New England right on their tail at five and four. And I mean, it's mm-hmm. crazy. This AFC East is the best division in football. Remember, the AFC West was getting all that hype. The AFC East is the best division in football, so good for them. I mean, I'm curious. Do you think that the Jets will be a playoff team? I mean, I don't want to sound like a sound biased, but yeah. yeah be biased, Core. No, I'm on, gonna look- you, you've had nothing to be proud of with this team for the last 10 years, all right? You can be biased. Oh, no, yeah. All right, if I'm going to look at their schedule, I'm going to name off right now. I mean, I think at at New England, if Zach Wilson could could take care of the ball, I think that's a win. They go to 7-3. and three. I think the Bears – In New England. Are- I think that's a tough place to play, but okay. All right. It is. Hey, I think, I think we get it done. I think um, against the Bears at home, I mean, I think Justin Fields might show, and I still think he would be a better quarterback than Zach Wilson, but I think he might show why the Jets should have drafted him, but I still think the Jets get that, get taken three. Call me crazy. I'm going to sound biased. I think the Jets go into Minnesota and get the win. They're 9-3. and three. Okay, I'm not going to sound crazy here. They, they lose to Buffalo in Buffalo. I mean, that that's a tough game. They drop to 9-4. and four. I think they beat the Lions. They beat the Jags 11-4, and four, I think, in Seattle. And in in Dolphin in Miami, those might be two losses. So realistically, I, I see the Jets going eleven and six. You know, at the end of the year, we can come back to this. And if I'm right, I'm right. I mean, I don't know. I think the Jets finish eleven and six, get a wild card berth, and, and get into the playoffs. Hey, I love the confidence, and I can see it. Like I said, when you have that good of a defense and your run game is that dominant, like it was on Sunday. You can beat anybody. For the Buffalo Bills, I don't think either of us are really panicking on them. The only thing that would be of a little concern, I think, is the Josh Allen, like, his elbow. Like, the second to last play of the game got, like, hit as he threw. But on the last play of the game, he threw about 70 yards in the air. Obviously, crazy adrenaline running through his body. But as long as, like, everything checks out with him, I'm not really too worried about the Bills. They literally did the same exact thing last year where – I think it actually might have also been week nine where they played like Jacksonville and they were actually horrendous. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I'm I'm not too worried about them. I I think they ran into a good Jets team with a really good game plan for them and who was really like pumped up with a real good home crowd and stuff like that. Lose this week, Buffalo, and then I'll start rethinking where I think they stand. Are they this dominant 17-0 team that we maybe thought that they were in week three? No, I guess not. But they're still – on arguably the best team in football, and that th- this game doesn't change it if you ask me. Mm, I agree. I mean, I think the key thing is Josh Allen's health because, I mean, you take Josh Allen, he has to miss any type of time. I mean, Case Keenum's a good backup, but obviously, like, Josh Allen's just such a dynamic player. So, I don't know. I'm hoping – okay, maybe I'm not hoping because I'm a Jets fan, but, you know, I mean, Josh Allen is one of the – is probably a top-two quarterback in the NFL. So, I mean – we like to see these guys in the field, even though I'm a Jets fan. And I could use the Jets winning this AFC East, but 
I don't know. I hope he's all right. And I don't know. Buffalo's a fun team to watch. So, I mean, his elbow, I, I saw obviously he was holding it at the end of the game. I know he's getting checked out for it. So, if he if he's healthy and he's still able to sling the ball, I have no worries about the Buffalo Bills. But, I mean, if that injury is somewhat serious, I think there is some type of concern. I mean, that's not really a bold statement, especially because – I mean, they don't really run the ball great. I know they brought in Naheem Hines, James Cook look good, but I mean, this team kind of goes off of off of Josh Allen. Like you talk about importance to a team, I think you could replace. I think Mahomes right now is probably a better like quarterback. More replaceable, you're saying? Yeah, I think you could replace Patrick Mahomes more than you could replace Josh Allen just for, just because how much he does for for that team. I I don't think Mahomes like really that replaceable either. But like if you were telling me. Which guy is more replaced by? I think it's Patrick Mahomes, just because how unique and like different Josh Allen is as a player. So I hope he's all right. Like that makes so much sense. I just think it's so funny to hear like who oh Patrick Mahomes is like more replaceable. You know what I mean? Like it's just like yeah. hypothetically, like it's just funny. But like hypothetically, I know exactly what you mean. It does make sense. Josh Allen is like one of the most like his offense depends. Like there's arguably no other offense that depends on one single player more than the Bills with Josh Allen. One thing I think they desperately need is just like another pass catcher to step up big. Gabriel Davis has not really broken out as he kind of previewed in that divisional game. Dawson Knox has been eh. Naheem Hines didn't like really get a lot of run this week. Obviously, short week of practice. I'm sure he will get a lot more there. Um, so, yeah, they, they got to figure something out maybe with another pass catcher stepping up. But like I said, not too worried about Buffalo. If Josh Allen's health checks out and everything. The NFC North Corps. The Green Bay Packers, it, it's pathetic with them, really what's going on. 15-9 to win for the Detroit Lions, definitely a sweet victory for them. What is this, the fifth loss in a row now for Green Bay? Yeah, I think they started off 3-1. and one. Yeah, because they yeah Giants, Jets, Washington, Buffalo, and now Detroit. That's a pathetic stretch. Listen, they had some of the craziest injuries that you'll see mid-game. They lost at points in this game. Aaron Jones, David Bakhtiari, Rashad Gary, who might be out for the year, which would be a brutal loss for them. He's really breaking out. Romeo Dobbs went out, I believe, on the first play. Christian Watson went out again. Eric Stokes, one of their defensive backs, a young kid, went out. I mean, to overcome injuries like that, I understand, are extremely difficult. You can't throw three interceptions, two of them inside the five-yard line if you're Aaron Rodgers and you're a two-time reigning MVP, just inexcusable against one of the worst defenses, the worst defense in the league in the Detroit Lions. I mean, just the epitome of the Packers season, and this team is not making the playoffs. I will say that right now. I don't think it's a bold statement at all. I think it's crazy, and I think that a loss like this, again, with how bad they were going in, like I said, I know there were so many injuries in this game, and it's tough to, like, overcome, but I think a loss like this, just to summarize this losing streak, then – like now you're starting to think, all right, maybe Aaron Rodgers like won't be in Green Bay after this year. Like I don't think it's crazy to say that at all. I know we just signed that huge contract and stuff like that, but you know what I mean? Jordan Love's contract is like he's only getting less and less valuable as you don't use him. I'm not saying Jordan Love is the answer. He clearly isn't. They definitely need other pieces there, but I, I don't like how can you call like how can you say that this is gonna be even like a Super Bowl team in the near future with how bad that they've looked? Yeah, I mean, I don't know where the the Packers go from here. I just think Aaron Rodgers, I mean, I think he's kind of in a similar situation. I mean, Jordan, I don't, I just, I don't know. I'm not really a Jordan Love believer, to be honest. I think in his games, he, I mean, it was like a very small sample size. But for some reason, I could see the, the, pack, the Packers going out and using a first-round pick. On on another quarterback, to be honest, I mean, even though they just used um, Jordan Love, a uh, pick on Jordan Love. Actually, no, I'm gonna change that. I think you've got to give if like you got to give Jordan Love like a little bit of a chance, but I think he's one of those guys. He doesn't really have that um, window to just like take take your time on him. I think you've got to give one year to Jordan Love, and if he can't get the job done, then you you kind of move on from him, just because. I don't know. I mean, he's not like a Trevor Lawrence where you're going to give the guy time, but I don't know where they go with Rodgers. I think if Rodgers is coming back, though, like they are not going to, they're not going to like wave him or anything. I think maybe you got to try to ship him off to a team and 
and trade him, which I think they potentially can. I think Aaron Rodgers still has some solid football in him. But it just the thing about Rodgers, it just seems like he doesn't really care, to be honest. Like he just doesn't seem like he he's out there even caring that much. It seems like he he's like, I don't have Devontae Adams. Like, what do you want me to do? Like, obviously his weapons on the outside, he just lost Romeo. Romeo Dobbs, I don't know how long he's out, but they definitely lack weapons on the outside. I think he's just kind of like low expectations. Like, what is he supposed to do with his weapons? And I don't know. I think given like receivers like Denver or like good receivers, I think he's still a good quarterback. I just think right now he's kind of just out of it. The team's out of it. And to me, I think we've been talking about how bad the the Packers, the Rams, and the Bucks have been. I don't think, I don't think the Packers really have any type of turnaround coming anytime soon. I think, yeah, I think they're going to keep losing. And they're call me crazy. There is, I think, there is a very high chance. I'm, I'm gonna say, I think the, the the Packers will come in last in in that division. I, I don't know. I think the way they're playing right now, the Bears kind of playing solid football. The Lions actually compete. I think the Packers come in last in the NFC North. What about you? I don't think I mean the Lions are two and six. I don't think that they're gonna like, I know that I know the Packers are only three and what the Packers three and six. Like I know like they're only a half game. Like I don't know. I don't know if I can say that. I don't, I don't, I'm not feeling that bold. I'm not feeling bold enough. I'll go third if that makes you feel better. I just don't think that they're finished below the Lions. But it's a it's not a bad take because again, I wouldn't say Rogers like doesn't care. Like again, he's still like a professional. Like I think it's just that he's just so frustrated and stuff like that. So like to like it's just almost like it, it it's got to be like upsetting for him and obviously stuff like that i mean they've tried it seems like obviously reports are coming after they tried to trade for chase claypool but they like the bears pick better they tried to trade for ja- darren waller at the deadline vegas didn't want to do it dj moore they offered a first round pick they said no jerry judy from denver they said no but at the same time like you gotta overpay them like i understand like you get you're getting maybe ripped off in a sense but you had to do something. You can't just leave it as is. To be fair, though, do I think that like DJ Moore magically coming to the Packers would have like t- make make this, would make this team a playoff team? Absolutely not. Like I don't. So like maybe I don't hate the exact process that I'm not trading like too too much then for him. But I don't. I, I it just goes to show you like you neglect a clear need in the offseason. You're like oh like we'll get by with Alan Lazard and a bunch of other pieces because we have Aaron Rodgers and we'll trade Devontae Adams. Like, this is what happens. Like, you can't just absolutely, like, trade a guy who your offense was so dependent upon the last couple of years. Like, it was so clearly obvious, like, the Packers, like, they never had a number. Like, Lazard really was, like, not used that much. Valdez Scantling, even like, Valdez Scantling would be the number two receiver on this team. Like, and they just never, ever did anything to replace anybody. So, for the Packers hires up, higher ups yeah you got Aaron Rodgers back this offseason after it looked like you didn't but um, for what like for him to go three and six right now because you didn't give him ample guys so I'm not gonna like again throw completely Rodgers under the bus yeah if you're a reigning MVP and stuff like that you should be able to make it work a little bit more than he is but at the end of the day like for how dependent their offense was on Devontae Adams to not even have any sort of replacement is unfathomable so I'm curious where the Packers go from here I don't think it looks bright for them I actually think that like I'd sit here and still say that, like, I believe a lot more in the Rams potentially turning it around, which we'll get into a little bit later, I guess, than the Packers. I think the Packers, I mean, are done. You lose a five-game losing streak to some of these teams, done. Stick stick the fork in them, as my father would say. Core, we'll talk about one last underdog that won this past week real quick. The Seattle Seahawks beat the Cardinals for the second time this season. Second time maybe in, like, four weeks. 31-21 was the final there. Kenneth Walker showing why he's potentially – the offensive rookie of the year, 26 carries, 109 yards, and two touchdowns really came alive in the second half of that one. Seattle threw a pick six that put them down, and then they kind of ran away with the game after that in the second half. Good for them. They extend their lead in the NFC West. I've mentioned, though, they still have to play San Francisco once, who's right on their tail, and they also have to play the Rams twice, which the Rams are struggling. But, again, that gives the Rams a wide-open door if they could sweep the season series against Seattle and make it real interesting in the West. For the Cardinals – at three and six right now, their disappointment is not like people aren't seeing it as much because they're getting all hung up in the Bucks, the Rams, and 
the Packers, but the Cardinals have been one of the most disappointing teams as well in the league, extending Kyler Murray in the offseason. I believe Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury also got an extension. And again, this is kind of what it's turned into. Ugly there, but yeah, good for Seattle as they continue to be a real good story in the NFC. I mean, Seattle, you look at that trade. I mean, there. I think there's got to be two things. Pete Carroll, obviously, just like a really good coach. And Seattle's future is pretty, pretty bright. I mean, they're out here getting those picks from the Broncos, and the Broncos are are a really bad team in the NFL. It's arguably, I mean, arguably going to be a top six, like top half of the first round. It's going to be a top sixteen pick, you think? Yeah, I mean, they could go quarterback if they want. I mean, or you could ride Geno again. I somehow still think they would go quarterback just because. I mean, Geno Smith. I don't know. This is unless this is the complete revival of Geno Smith. I don't know. I just don't see Geno – like, I like Geno Smith a lot, but I just don't think you could lean on Geno to be your guy. I mean, like, even a guy like – a guy like Teddy Bridgewater has, like, done well in this league, but teams are never going to just lean on Teddy to be their, to be their guy. I think Geno's a guy who's good. I, I think Geno's earned the respect if he can get this team to the playoffs. I still think you draft a quarterback with that first-round pick. But I think Geno's earned the respect to be given the, the start to start next year. And if he does good, like you ride him. But I think he's definitely earned the respect where like you get you draft a quarterback top um in the first round. Like I think you don't just go with that guy from day one. Geno Smith is the starter on this team. And I think you ride him until like it doesn't it doesn't look well and then you change to your to your future, but I think, yeah, I think Geno Smith definitely earned that. And then obviously we got to give Kenneth Walker a shout out since taking over for uh for Rashad Penny. He's absolutely been ridiculous. I mean, he's been actually running out there like you can make a case he's already a top 10 running back in, in the NFL. I mean, some of these moves he makes, some of the cuts he makes, and the acceleration from this guy is just top notch. I mean, this this running back class. Brees Hall was up there too, even uh, even Damian Pierce. Like these three, I mean, it's it's a shame that uh, Brees Hall got hurt because I think Brees Hall, Kenneth Walker, and Damian Pierce would be a legit like three headed case for for AP like offensive rookie of the year. But I think right now, Kenneth Walker versus Damian Pierce is is pretty close. Like, are you giving Kenneth Walker the advantage even though he didn't play the first like get that many touches the first few games of the year? Yeah, I would. I, I would. And I'm also, like, forecasting. I think, like, right now to this point, I think I'd say maybe, like, pretty even. I know Pierce, I don't think I like a ton of run maybe week one. And Walker, obviously, the first three weeks and, like, three and a half weeks. But, I'm like I said, I'm also forecasting down the stretch. I just think Walker has a better, like, finish, too. I think Walker's, like, barely a favorite right now, which could also be that they're forecasting. If the, if the award was given today, it'd be pretty close, if you ask me. I mean, yeah, I mean. I would probably lean Walker too. This guy took over the lead back role, what, four weeks ago or, or three weeks? Yeah, four weeks ago. He's played four games as a lead back. I mean, he's already on, he's actually on pace for over 1,000 yards. He's at 570 yards right now. I mean, before that, he really wasn't getting, I mean, it was like four and a half. He was also hurt. He was also hurt like week one. Yeah. Like week two, they were working him back. We'll say it was going to be four and a half because I know against New Orleans, he like broke off a big, a big run. And into that game with a decent amount of yards, but yeah, I mean, I give I give the edge to to Walker. I think he has more upside just because I believe more in Seattle's offense than the Texans. Like I think Pierce running on on Thursday night against that Eagles defense, I think he looked really good. I mean, there were some times he's just a really hard runner, Damian Pierce. I mean, obviously his Florida highlights, like you know, this guy's a dog. But yeah, I just think Kenneth Walker has a little more upside. So I would lean him right now. But honestly, I think if Brees Hall was still healthy, I think he would be the favorite. He was running like an absolute monster. But yeah, right now, Kenneth Walker, I mean, if you're lucky enough, like maybe like Payo to just like have Kenneth Walker in fantasy and just pick up a free RB1. I mean, it's got to be the life. Even like just, just getting a guy like that, plugging him in. <laughs> And just yeah, getting a free RB one. I know this isn't a fantasy show, but you know, 
I yeah, listen, we don't talk we don't talk about it a lot, but like I mean, I'm a big like I've hit on this like a couple years now in a row. Like rookie running backs, when they finally get the chance, like the transition is like pretty good. Like you know what I mean? There's not that crazy of a drop off mm-hmm. in their like production in college, even to the production in the NFL. I mean, even if you just look back, like Jonathan Taylor when he finally got on the field in 2020, Cam Akers even finally took so long to get on the field in 2020 and then he did and he ran wild and then really ran well for them in the playoffs when Jared Goff was banged up for them last year Javante Williams finally gets on the field was one of like led the ta- like led the league in like uh missed tackles and stuff um who's the other who's the guy other guy that I just blanked on last year mm. besides the point there's like, oh Travis Etienne is who I was going to say Travis Etienne doesn't play last year so this year's like really his true rookie season and look how well he's finally ran when given a shot so it makes me really excited to see obviously like Bijan Robinson who's one of the best running back prospects coming out really since Saquon and he'll be a first round pick even with like the running back position being devalued across the NFL he's that good so I'm definitely pumped to see that for Seattle one thing I'll just wrap up with I think I mean, you mentioned Gino earlier. I think Gino definitely deserves a 2023 nod, especially because this roster is still, like, pretty young. Like, their rookie class, I think, has played, like, the most snaps, and they've played really good. They got, obviously, Kenneth Walker, but also Charles Cross. Charles Cross and Abe Lucas are the tackles there. Tariq Woolen is becoming a star. Kobe Bryant on defense as well. So I think that this is still a team that's building. I think they're going to ride with Gino in 2023, but they're definitely probably going to think about maybe taking a quarterback if they get into a right position, maybe sit him behind Gino for a year and then reevaluate after that. One team core that probably won't be looking quarterback because of how well their young stud has been playing the past couple weeks. Justin Fields showed a lot of promise in that game against New England on Monday night, then played pretty well against the Cowboys and then had his real breakout performance this past week. 123 yards only in the air and three touchdowns, though. 178 yards on the ground and a touchdown. I think that broke the record, the regular season record for most rushing yards by a quarterback. They end up losing 35-32, but I think every Bears fan will be okay with that. The takeaways from this game, obviously, one, Justin Fields, now incredible. He started to look at how he's kind of really – like cementing himself now is like the best second year quarterback where if you would have said that in week three of this year, you would have been like, well, Fields is going to be out of a job after this season. But yeah, he's really playing himself again into another season and the offense is catering a lot more to his strength, which is really good for there. The other thing I take away from this game is that the Miami Dolphins offense is one of the best in the NFL, if not the most explosive. And they're going to have two receivers who are going to like, they have two, I think Waddle and Tyreek are both top five in receiving yards. They're probably like, Waddle and Tyreek are going to set records for like wide receiver duos this year with yards and receptions. It's incredible. Tua gets them the ball a ton. And anybody who doubted like Mike McDaniel as an offensive mind there was crazy. So good for the Dolphins. Another big win for them. They got to figure out stuff on the defense. But I think the Bears, they didn't, they lost the game on the scoreboard. But I think every Bears fan would say this was a pretty good day for them. Yeah, man. I mean, I've been high on Justin Fields ever since like, yeah, ever since he was at Ohio State. I mean, right now he's kind of getting it done more as a rusher. But, I mean, throwing the ball, he's looked good. I mean, obviously, like, his yards haven't been there. But I think when you're when you're Justin Fields, the thing that, like, could separate him from a lot of these other quarterbacks, I mean, is his ability to run the ball. I mean, the guy runs a 4-4. guy goes for 178 yards on the ground. I mean, you look at the quarterback position, like, yeah, obviously you're supposed to throw the ball, which he can do. I think he has a really good arm. I think he accurate quarterback, to be honest. But, I mean, when you run a 4-4, like, you could take off and scramble. Like, if you're getting your team points, you're getting first downs for your team. I mean, I'm not comparing Fields to Lamar Jackson yet. I mean, Fields is pretty – he's a bigger body. But, like, if it could translate to wins in your offense scoring points, I mean, that that's like a good quarterback. If your quarterback – going out there throwing for 100, I don't know, 50, 160 yards. But he's going out there and he's rushing for over 102 and he's scoring touchdowns. Like, I don't know. I think that makes a quarterback – obviously, it's a dual-threat quarterback. They could do both. That's what makes them, like, unique and different than others. But, I mean, Fields, obviously, the last few weeks has been looking better. Obviously, he's looking more confident back there. I think this offense is starting to click a little more. Even the week before that, I mean – what was it? Um, I know they play like Dallas. They they lost forty nine to twenty nine, but I mean like twenty nine points still still good points. Like still a lot of points. I'm just gonna cut you. Like they're years different. They played the Giants week four. 
they're years different offensively where they look oh, yeah. in that game compared to where they look now. 100%. And, I mean, for the Dolphins, I mean, this defense is crazy. I mean, when they had Brian Flores, this team kind of was, like, relying more on their defense and Tua to be a game manager type. Not, not game manager. I mean, he's about that. But, like, now, I mean, Tua's slinging the rock. I mean, when you got Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle, I mean – they're going to be open. So you just got to put it on them. And that's exactly what Tua's done. Uh, Mike McDaniel also has done a really good job. But, yeah, I we were talking about it before. I mean, the, the Dolphins' offense is so explosive. A lot of big plays leading to shorter-type drives on offense. I mean, maybe that is a reason why the defense has been struggling. Maybe they're just gassed because they're just coming right back on the field. I didn't see the game. Did, um, did Bradley Chubb? play in this one? Chubb played. Chubb played. I I didn't see how he did. But, I mean, obviously, hopefully an addition like him could help this defense. But I think right now, Miami, obviously, they can lean on their offense. And I think you, if you, like, look at that team, there's ways that I think Buffalo, even Kansas City, like, they can go out and win a game 20 to 17 or, like, like a 24 to type – 24 to 20 – type game i think if you look at miami they're kind of a team right now like they want to go out there and and they kind of got to win a game in the 30s but like they have Mm -hmm. confidence in their offense to do that i think their offense is good enough but right now i don't know how in the playoffs that could work if they have to go into a hostile environment and like you're telling them they got to go drop i mean obviously in the playoffs offense isn't as easy to come but i don't know i said it either i mean that chiefs bills that game last year no one could stop anyone but I think, yeah, they're kind of just betting on their offense at this point. Hopefully Bradley Chubb could help. But, yeah, Miami's offense definitely legit and can compete with anyone. Yeah, I agree. I think Miami's offense, 100%, I think when they're clicking, you could argue that they're just as good offensively as Kansas City and Buffalo, which is nuts to say, obviously, when you look at, like, the quarterback position. But, again, Tua's elite. at like, What Tua's good at, he's elite at, if that makes any sense. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he, he he's, delivers the ball on time where it needs to be. So playing with McDaniel and him, that was the best hire that they definitely could have made. Yeah, I think it could be tough if, like, they. I remember I was saying to you, like, if they have to go into Buffalo in the postseason, that's a tough place to play, especially come January and stuff like that. So that maybe I, I definitely want to see a little bit more of that. Like, it, it, it was easy to play Buffalo in September when it was 115 degrees on the Bills' sideline in Miami. You know what I mean? So I definitely want to see a little bit more from this Miami team. But I think they're the clear cut third best team in the AFC. I would put them over Cincinnati. I would put them over Baltimore. And I'm like I said, they're not on the Bills level. They're not on the Chiefs level. They probably won't. They're not going to get there. But I think that who knows? Who knows? They could definitely compete with them, especially if like I can see their offense continue in November and into December still being so high octane. Core, just in the interest of time, we're going to move on to the game. A couple game winners that we had and we'll kind of talk about. We'll each touch on one of them between Tom Brady beating the Rams late, Harrison Bucker's walk-off field goal, Greg Joseph's walk-off field goal, and Cameron Dicker, I think, was the the kicker now for Chargers, the Chargers yeah. after after Dustin Hopkins had that injury on um, Monday Night Football after he had a game winner, actually. Core, give me one of these games that you want to talk about, one of those teams, and just like what you were impressed with. And uh, I know I had a couple talking points there, so take one of them away. Yeah, I mean, amongst – those three, I mean, I guess I'll go. Yeah, I mean, the Chiefs, obviously in this one, I think the Titans gave them a good game. I think if I'm going to say one thing, I think obviously in this one, the Chiefs, the way they look vulnerable, I think they couldn't really get much going on offense just because I don't think it's like been a problem. But the run game in this one just wasn't wasn't getting going. And if you honestly look at the run game, for the for the Chiefs, like Clyde Edwards Hilaire is a guy who they drafted at the end of the first round. And yeah, he was supposed to come in. I mean, his rookie year, he was he was like getting a lot more carries. And now he really doesn't get that much. It's kind of like a three three running back committee. It's um Pacheco, mm-hmm. McKinnon, and and Edwards Hilaire. Like none of them were able to get things going. And I mean, yeah, Mahomes ended up being their, read, their leading rusher in this game. And I think 
Mahomes is not a guy like Mahomes isn't Josh Allen in that in that department. Like Josh Allen could be a guy who could just run guys over. Like Mahomes is honestly a little bit sneaky fast, to be honest. But I don't know. I think if that's the way, like if if if, if it's not sustainable. Not yeah. I mean, the thing is, I guess obviously it's better to have a better passing game than like running game because like if they get behind, obviously like they're fine. They can throw the ball. I mean. You don't have to run the ball unless you just start making the Chiefs run the ball. But mm. I don't know how they could stop. I don't know. I mean, this t- the offense is obviously really hard to stop through the air. I mean, Mahomes threw the ball what? Was it Was it really 68 Six, times? 68 times, yep. That's Overtime, but still. That's still nuts. That is, that is a lot of throws. I mean, yeah. That run game, I'd say, is the only thing for, for the Chiefs offense that could potentially stump them. And – yeah, I mean that that's about it. That's all I had to say. I mean, the Titans played a good game. So Malik Willis honestly looked pretty solid. Uh, I think Willis, he's he's also really fast. I mean, he had a few really good throws. I know he made one like down the sideline. Chris Conley literally went right through his hands. Like it was an absolute dime. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I think Willis looked pretty good. But yeah, that's what I have to say about the Chiefs. Obviously, the run game could be a little bit concerning. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think the Titans played exactly how they wanted to in this game. They kept it close and they ran the football a ton. We mentioned that their running, rushing attack versus the Chiefs' run defense was definitely an area that they were going to try to exploit, and they did. They were physical up front, too, defensively. Obviously, you mentioned the Chiefs' inability to run the football. But, again, it just proves that like the Chiefs are one of the best teams in the NFL, if not the best, because they can play a game that's not their game script at all and still come out with a victory because they have – if the best quarterback in the league and Patrick Mahomes on third and nine can run through Jeffrey Simmons and score a touchdown and then get the two point conversion again with his legs. So again, they, they, again, they, that game just clearly showed like Tennessee played their game script. They did almost everything right and still lost. And it kind of went against the chiefs, obviously maybe not completely against it because they're still close and stuff like that, but they're still able to come from behind and win. And that's why they are a top team in the NFL. I think you're a little bit more generous with me than Malik Willis. I think Malik Willis, yes, he made a couple of good throws and flashed a little bit of promise, but when Ryan Tannehill gets healthy, it will be Ryan Tannehill's show. To actually, you, you just can't, you can't, you can't like these past two weeks, Malik Willis has kind of been like a non-factor throwing the ball in the air. And they leaned on Derrick Henry in this one. I'll turn it over to another game core. I'll just talk about the last drive, really, of Tampa Bay versus the Rams. I mean, again, another disgusting game that it just seems like Tampa Bay has been fixated in a bunch of ton this year. A game, again, a rematch from the playoffs last year. Raheem Morris, his strategy on the last drive, I believe Brady got the ball back with about 50 seconds at the opposing 40, played his corners 10, 12 yards off the whole way down and Brady was easily able to pick them apart and throw the ball out of bounds with no timeouts. Tom Brady, like Tom Brady, again, I know it was like, I don't want to say it was gifted to him the way that they played the defense, but again, Tom Brady, when his team, like it almost seemed like when everything goes wrong and stuff like that, and every backs against the wall, Brady finds a way once again to figure it out and put the ball in the end zone and win this game, which again was a huge win for Tampa Bay to kind of like, just keep them on track enough in their season just because of how bad their division is. They're going to be okay. And for the Rams, I think that was a game that they absolutely had. And like, they're still probably in shock. They lost the game because they had no business doing it. Raheem Morris has definitely faced a lot of criticism for how he played on that last drive. He's going to continue to face that. They have the Cardinals this week. It's a huge bounce back game for them. But yeah, another game where just two, these, both of these offenses continue to not be able to run the football at all. Nine weeks through the season, it's been bad for these two teams. They're praying that the next nine get better. If not, both of these two teams definitely will not be playing um, come February because they are just – they're not there as they were. One last team I'll touch on, the Minnesota Vikings, if you ask me, could potentially be the most overlooked 7-1 team in football. However, Core, if you look at their victories, they are pretty uninspiring. Yes, I'll give them – Give it to them. They are seven and one. Greg Joseph hit a nice game winner after they came back from ten down in this one. But their victories this year, they beat the Packers in Week One, which at the time looked like a pretty nice victory. Outside of that, the Lions, the Saints, the Bears, the Dolphins with no Tua and Teddy Bridgewater got hurt in that game. The Cardinals and the Commanders. I will one up that by saying, aside from the Packers, the other ones have been all one possession and they've won every one possession game. So the team that went 0-8 last year in one-possession games are 6-0. and So good for them for fixing their problem. But I think some people are being like, oh, maybe the Vikings are a little bit overlooked. And maybe I'm even saying at some points overlooked. I don't think they are. I think they're getting a little lucky here. 
Like I, I like I think it's unfair to talk about the Giants in a certain way. And yes, the Vikings are a better football team than the Giants, but like not express those same concerns with the Vikings right now. Mm-hmm. I think the Vikings are a team who like I don't believe in this team to to come out of the NFC or anything like that. Like I've said, I'm still putting the Eagles, the Niners, and the Cowboys above the Vikings. I know they got TJ Hawkinson, but I'm not gonna lie, I haven't watched a lot of Vikings football, but it just seems they're almost a lot of times like they're they're solid, but like it's like they're just nothing special, if you ask me. Like Dom like Miami, yeah. like Miami, if you ask me, is a better football team than them. You watch Miami, you see how dominant their offense can be. And you like you watch like I don't know. I just don't see I don't see it with Minnesota. If if Miami had two in that game, I think they beat the Vikings easily. Hundred percent. Uh, yeah. I don't know. The Vikings are a team who like on offense, it's a talented offense, but it just seems like a team that I don't know. It's not like a pretty dominant like type offense. Like it's just not a flowing, always like type thing. I mean, they played the Eagles. They kind of got shut down. So I don't know. I mean, if they can go into Buffalo and get a win, I honestly was checking before and I keep seeing the spread like dip. Right now it says Buffalo at minus five. I don't know if they think Josh Allen's not going to play or something. Um, I know we had it here at minus seven, but I was just looking. But yeah, I mean, I think if Josh Allen plays, I think this, yeah, this this is a legit test for for the Vikings. If Vikings can go into Buffalo and beat Josh Allen. I'll I'll tip my cap and take them serious. I know they're seven and one, but like you said, they're really not playing good teams and not even beating these teams convincingly. I know a win is a win, but a lot of these games are very shaky. They're wins, but they're not like convincing wins, and they're not even that good of opponents. So. Yeah, I think this is a big test for them this week. If they if they win, I'll take them for I'll start to take them like that they're legit. I still think they're a playoff team, but I don't think they're a top, top team in the NFC. And I think if Josh Allen does play this week, I, I don't know. I think the Bills will will beat will beat the Vikings. But I mean, hey, seven and one is seven and one. So um credits to them, and that's about it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, their defense has been a little bit better than I guess a lot of people expected. Like Zadarius Smith, I think he's up there and like I want to say he's up there like leading the league in sacks. He's been really good that uh, acquisition that they got him from Green Bay. That's definitely a loss that on defense they've definitely felt. I mean, I'm just looking at like some advanced stats even. If you look at like EPA per play, like they're like middle of the pack again too. Like they're 14th defensively and like I think they were maybe 50. Like again, it, it just it's just nothing that wows you if you ask me with the Minnesota Vikings. So that's why I think maybe some people aren't like completely respecting them. And that's why that yeah, they're about like six point underdogs. I guess we'll settle on. We'll meet in the middle this week in Buffalo, even though they're seven and one. But with that being said, we will move on to our game pick score and we will start with the Vikings and the Bills, even though it's not the first game of the day. We were kind of just talking about that. We'll keep it at we'll say six and a half is the number. We had seven, obviously went down a little bit. I'm sure as Josh Allen, his health, obviously, this all hinges on. But if he's good to go, I'm sure it'll probably go up another point. Core, I absolutely love the Bills in this spot. Coming off a loss, going back home. The, uh, the Vikings secondary has been a little bit better than I thought they were going to be coming into the year, but that doesn't matter. I think this is a, a spot for the Bills to absolutely go ballistic and remind people that they're one of the best teams in football again. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, if Josh Allen goes in this game, I'm for sure riding with Buffalo. I think they – Cover the spread, whatever it is. I think this game is won by double digits, to be honest. I know Vikings mm-hmm. play a lot of close games, but like 10, 14-point win, I think Buffalo gets it and covers the spread. Listen, this is a really good test for Minnesota, though, because I just read you their opponents. They struggled a lot on that Monday Night Football game against the Eagles. Everybody else they've beaten, and it's been close, like I said, but this is a good test to see if they are a legit contender in the NFC, if they go out and beat Buffalo on the road, I will come back here and be like the eight and one Minnesota Vikings could potentially make it out of the NFC. So this is a big, I, I don't, I just don't see Buffalo getting out physical like they did against the Jets this week. And I don't see Minnesota's defense giving Allen as much troubles as they did moving the ball vertically like the Jets did. So I'll, I'll stay with Buffalo here. Core, the Germany game, first game ever there, the Seahawks are traveling there along with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Buccaneers are two-and-a-half-point favorites. Who I got an interesting note on this game. You might be like, oh, you're all over the Bucs, but 
You know, Tom Brady, he's been going through some stuff with his personal life. Giselle got a little bit of German blood. Does that sway you one way or the other? Tom Brady going to Germany to play, maybe a, maybe a little revenge puts it on. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't know. For me, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it's a bad thing, and I'm gonna go with Seattle. But in, in all seriousness, I will link that. Like, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers just are are not a good football team yet. They got gashed on the ground two weeks ago against the Baltimore Ravens, and the Seattle Seahawks want to run the football, and they run the football very effectively. I think they're going to be able to do that. And Geno Smith is going to continue to play in rhythm. The Buccaneers secondary is banged up. That's I'm not 100% sure where they are health-wise now, but Seattle, you obviously know, has got two great weapons on the outside, and I think that Geno Smith is going to be the first quarterback ever to win a game in Germany. So I'm going to take the Seahawks plus two and a half here and ultimately to win the game. I like them in this spot against the Buccaneers. And I'm, I was surprised that this was two and a half on a neutral site. I think that this is maybe just – I don't know. I, 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 like, I like Seattle here. Yeah, I mean, Giselle got a little bit um German in her, and to be honest, I mean – since Brady divorced, since they got divorced, we acted like, yeah, Brady's gonna play till till forever and all that. And obviously the guy has not looked guy hasn't looked good. I mean, obviously this is the GOAT, but this isn't a this hasn't been a great look for him this year. And I don't know, Seattle's been a team who's kind of just been going. I mean, they've been just winning games. Sometimes the spread doesn't like dictate in their favor. And this is another game where I think Vegas, yeah. I mean, I think giving out Seattle at, at underdogs, certainly I would expect a decent amount of money to come in on Seattle just because how bad the Buccaneers have been. And to be honest, I don't I don't really care. I think the Bucs have been bad. I think they're lucky to win at home against a pretty bad Rams team themselves. So I'm not gonna overthink it. I think Seattle's look good. Tampa Bay has looked bad. I'm not gonna overthink it. I'm taking Seattle money line, so they're gonna cover the spread. I think they win this game in a neutral site. I don't think it matters about this Giselle German blood. I'm taking Seattle to win the game. Hey, I like it. Um, I'm not a, like we're recording on Tuesday, so the injury report isn't out yet for the week. It should come out on Wednesday, and I think both of the teams are actually flying right after like practice. I remember, I think that's what I read with Seattle. So definitely keep an eye on the injury report. I know Antoine Winfield definitely didn't play last week for Tampa Bay. I can't remember if, what's his name played. Um. Carlton Davis. That's, that's a big guy for them on the outside to definitely get back to play opposite of Jamel Dean. So keep an eye on that. That could definitely affect the line one way or the other. Core, we got our last game that we're going to choose. We're going to choose the Sunday night football game. The Chargers are seven-point underdogs traveling to San Francisco to play the Niners. I'm kind of torn on this game, Core. I think it's such a big number that makes me want to – like it just makes me feel so guilty knowing how good the Chargers could be and – how the seven-point dogs in this spot. I think on prime time, I think they're going to give a good performance. So I'm going to go with them at the number. I think the 49ers ultimately win the game. But it definitely scares me, especially how they've played. They have not played great football. Out of the bye week, they struggled in the first quarter and the, really the first half, and they kind of – it felt like they escaped Atlanta with a win. that Maybe they not necessarily didn't deserve, but like – I don't want to say they got lucky in the game, but yeah, maybe they didn't necessarily deserve it as much. I think the 49ers will win this game comfortably, like – comfortably, but they won't cover, if that makes sense, even though it's only seven points. I think they're going to be able to run the football very well. The 49ers defense has been great, and with all the injuries with the wide receivers in Los Angeles, I think that's going to just prove to be too much with Herbert. I think the Chargers, though, are just too good of a football team, as banged up as they are, to like for me to lay seven points with San Francisco. So I'll, I'll take the Chargers at the number. Maybe, maybe it'll be a push, but I'm going to go with the Niners ultimately um, off their bye week to come out and hit the floor running. Yeah, I'm not sure if Debo, Debo Samuel, or, or a lot of those guys are, are going to be a go. But, yeah, I don't know about the Keen Allen, if he'll, be, if he'll be a go either. But you look at the Chargers at 5-3, and three, they really have not been convincing at all. I think they're – I think, like, they were my prediction to come out of the AFC before the season, and they just really haven't looked good. I think you look at them, they're definitely a team who's lucky to be 5-3. and three. And I think going into San Francisco, despite the Chargers being like a talented team still and usually playing close games, I don't know. I just think San Francisco is a top three team in the NFC. I think they get this done and they cover the spread in this in this Sunday night game and, and, and win by probably about – I think it's a two-possession game and I think they cover. Okay. Listen, I'd love to see if Debo doesn't go like – 
how maybe that changes the usage of McCaffrey and especially Brandon Ayuk because Brandon Ayuk seems like comfortable when he's being used a lot more. Like he's he's kind of came on these past couple of weeks, even when they they still them still training for McCaffrey. So hopefully, um, if Debo can't go, he's definitely able to step up and continue to produce. With that being said, that's going to be it for today's episode. Be sure to check us out on the Instagram at the default underscore. Week ten starts bright and early. Set those alarm clocks. We got that game in Germany, and then we got a nice slate of football. Also, we got the Cowboys playing the Packers, the Cardinals, and the Rams on top of the three games that we also let you know about. But that's going to do it for today's episode. Take care, everybody. Have a good one.